I want to bring to the podium a wonderful man of God who is, who is with us this morning. And before our preacher preaches, I would like for Pastor Stephen Malloy to come and greet you this morning. Pastoring in Millersport, Ohio, Pastor Stephen and Sister Bethany Malloy doing a wonderful work for the Lord in Millersport, Ohio. Amen. And we don't get to see them very often because they're so immersed in the work of the Lord there. But God is doing great things, and we're glad they're home, and we want them to feel welcome this morning. Let's give them a great big hand as Brother Malloy greets you this morning. Hallelujah. Well, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place, and it's wonderful, as Brother Urshan said, to be home. I feel the presence of God just like we do in Millersport and wherever there are two or three gathered together in his name to worship him. I'm so glad that, I'm so glad that we feel his presence today. Hallelujah. I, I opened my uh, version Bible app today, and I just wanted to leave a verse with you this morning. In Isaiah 43 and verse 19, the Bible says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah. I don't know, as Brother Urshan just said, I don't know what you went through this last year. It might have been a desert. It might have been a wilderness. But there's a new growth that's coming. There's a new thing that will spring forth in your spirit. And I'm excited to see God do it in your church and in your life and your family and your marriage. And I'm excited to see God do it in Millersport and around the United States. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord in Jesus' name. Glory. How many receive it in the name of the Lord? Hallelujah. It feels good to be in the house of God this morning. And I thank God for everybody who's here today. I know everybody probably stayed up just to say Happy New Year, ring in the new year. So you were up past midnight and you're still in the house of God with a song on your lips. God bless you in Jesus' name. I don't even think the weather woke up this morning. I mean, I... It looked like the weather needed some coffee to lift that fog. But here you are, saints of God, glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus. This is a great way to begin the new year. Worshiping the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And have we got a preacher to preach the word to us this morning. My, 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 my. If you didn't hear that message last night, Lord, deliver me from creature worship. You owe it to yourself to make sure and listen to that powerful word from the Lord. Now, I will warn you, it will convict you. It's what you need to get your feet moving in the right direction. Amen. And I know Brother Diaz has another powerful stirring word from the Lord for us this morning. We always appreciate when Brother Diaz will come and minister to us at First Apostolic Church. We're so thankful to have Caleb and Micah with us. These are two wonderful young men who love the Lord and support their father, and we're grateful to have the Diaz family with us. Let's give them a great big hand as Brother Diaz comes. Praise the Lord and give the Lord a hand clap offering this morning. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. So thankful to be here this morning, and 10.30 comes fast. 
when you go to sleep at four in the morning. Amen. Uh, actually, at four, our alarms in the hotel begin to ring, and uh, uh, Caleb's spirit went sour. But we <laughs> I had to had to pray him through to the Holy Ghost at four in the morning. I know I preached on creature worship last night, but I had to get back to the hotel room and repent after that because that meal last night, the spread that they served, it, I said, Lord, deliver me from creature worship next week. <laughs> Amen. Uh, that was amazing. And uh, I'm very thankful to be here. We're very thankful to be here. Uh, you guys bless us a lot more than uh, than I can, uh, you know, utter here this morning. And so I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for that. Um, I want to go right into the word of the Lord in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And the Bible reads as so. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This morning I'd like to speak to you some time ago, uh, the pastor of the fastest growing, actually the largest church in the United States of America, wrote a book. Um, this book sold more than two million copies in its first year. And uh, one of uh, the uh, New York Times bestsellers um, it's called Your Best Life Later, or Your Best Life Now, sorry. Uh, but I would like to speak to you on this subject here, that your best life is not now. Your best life is later. Amen. You know how I know that? I know that because Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time do you know what present means? It means now. It says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I have a feeling that we are so caught up with the now that we have forgotten about the later. And so I'd like to speak to you here for the next several minutes under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and with your help, your best life later, your best life later. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us, O oh Lord, to bring about the word in a way that is uh, acceptable to you, that I may be honest with the text and bring it forth with a, uh, with a clarity of speech and that your people may understand what thus saith the Lord and put everything they hear to practice. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated all over this building. Some time ago, I had the privilege of speaking at a men's conference, a larger men's conference, at Christian Tabernacle in Santa Ana, California. And while I was there, they interviewed the bishop of that uh, local church. And one of the questions that they asked him, we were all sitting on the platform uh, on a panel, and uh, they had several questions for the ministers that were up there. One of the questions that they asked him particularly was, in your opinion, Bishop, what is one of the greatest weaknesses of the men of this generation? What is one of the greatest weaknesses of the men of this generation? Now, I thought for sure that the bishop was going to respond with one of the default answers to that question, which is, I believe that the men of this generation lack prayer or lack focus, lack Bible study or something to that effect. But uh, his answer actually had a deep effect on my life. This is what he said. He said, I believe that one of the greatest weaknesses of today's men is that they are so consumed with the here and now that they no longer have windows to peer into the eternal. They're so consumed with the here and now that they no longer have windows to peer into the eternal. My friend, that answer rocked my world. Because more than ever before, I have come to the realization that we have lost our windows to peer into the eternal. We have lost our sight and our vision of the life to come. And as a result, our passion for this life is at an all-time high. While our passion for the life to come, it wanes day by day in comparison. Can I tell you that it does not take a scholar to see that just one look at Christianity's history gives us enough reason to believe that part of what characterized the believers of the first century was their passion and their hope for the second coming of the Lord and the eternal life that was to come. That's what drove them. That's what motivated them. That's what energized them. They had windows where they frequently peered into and often fantasized about the eternal. For three centuries, the hope of Christ's coming burned so brightly in the hearts of the first century believers, uh, first, second, and third century believers, that historians tell us that it was considered heresy in those first three centuries for someone not to ardently desire the coming of the Lord. I, I need you to think about what I am saying because I did not say that if you didn't think that the Lord was returning that it was heresy. I said that if you didn't passionately desire the coming of the Lord, 
that it was considered heresy. They didn't care what you believed. What they cared about was how adamantly were you about the coming of the Lord? How passionately did you desire the coming of the Lord? And if you did not show evidence of your affection towards the coming of the Lord, you were considered a heretic. That's how adamant they were about the life to come. To ardently desire the coming of the Lord, it was very much engraved in the DNA of that first century church. Because Paul wrote to one of his sons in the faith, Titus, he said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't say to know about that blessed hope, to, to hear about that glorious appearing. But he said, Titus, I don't want you to be reactive when the Lord returns. I want you to be proactive as you are waiting on him. I want you to look for his appearing. And then he wrote to Timothy, another one of his sons in the faith, while he was awaiting execution in a jail cell towards the end of his life. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day but but watch this and not to me only but unto all of them also that love his appearing not enough to just know about his appearing it is not enough to sing about his appearing it is not enough that grandma told me that the Lord is coming back or that I heard it somewhere that Jesus Christ is coming back he said he is coming back for those he is given a crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing those whose affections and desires and appetites and heart and love and likes has been so molded that they're saying even so come Lord Jesus for your church I am awaiting passionately and ardently desiring your coming that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many but then it says and unto them that look for him that is those who eagerly await for him not unto those who know that he's coming or have heard about it but for them who are looking for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation and those first century Christians believed that their hope was what gave evidence of their faith it's it's what gave evidence of your faith the fact that you were desired looking for loving liking wanting the Lord to return that's what gave evidence of your faith because Peter said that God hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead he has begotten us again unto a lively hope this is the reason you were born again this is the reason 
you came to faith unto a lively hope. The lively hope is what gave evidence of one's faith. What is that lively hope? That lively hope was to see him face to face. Not the hope of escaping judgment, but it was the hope of seeing him face to face. Our eager desire for the Lord's return is not to escape hell necessarily. That would be self-seeking and self-serving. If you only serve the Lord because you want to escape hell, you are serving him for self-serving reasons. But your eager desire for the Lord's return is because you are so in love with Jesus that you can't wait until the day that you can see him who invested in your stock when your stock was low you can't wait to see him who brought you out of the miry clay and place your feet on a rock to stay that is your eager expectation the joy produced by an escapist mentality is self-serving that joy that only wants to see Jesus because he is your hellfire insurance there is a phony faith that wants only to escape from a hell and the wrath of God but has no desire to see Jesus Christ. That faith does not save my friends. That faith does not produce an expectation for Christ to come but the faith that would rather that Christ not come for as long as you can. Don't come because I'm not married yet. Don't come because I need so much of this I need to have so much of this word that you know please just don't come yet because the pleasures of this world are just so rich that is a phony faith but the faith that really holds on to Christ as treasure and hope and joy is that faith that makes us long for Jesus Christ to come and that is the faith that saves saving faith is that faith that doesn't just regard Jesus as fire insurance against the flames of hell but regards him as our eagerly awaited bridegroom and friend and lord that was their expectation from behold now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is something happens when you have that kind of expectation your whole life changes when you have that kind of expectation as a matter of fact that's what John said because everyone that has this hope purifieth himself as he is pure that is you're going to walk holy when you want to see him you're going to walk differently when you want to see him you're going to act differently when you want to see him this is your eagerly awaited expectation you want to see him so badly you'll do whatever it takes in order to see Jesus Christ that's where the church is now we are eagerly that's where the church ought to be now 
we should eagerly await the Lord's return like a lover awaits a lover from a long in a long distance relationship and I'm telling you Facebook has given us enough uh, enough evidence to see what it is for a lover to await a waiting lover in a long distance relationship I know you've seen it 26 days until he gets to my town 25 days and I can't wait my palms are sweaty and my heart is beating fast 24 days and I can't wait until that day that I see into his eyes 23 days and I can't wait to smell his cologne again 22 days OMG and I am just I am just overwhelmed with emotion 21 days and he sent me chocolate y'all he sent me chocolate but the chocolate is no substitute for the day that I go pick him up at the airport seven days and I've got roses I've got the gifts but I don't have him just as of yet and can I tell you three days and I can't sleep it's three o'clock in the morning and my lover is coming soon and I'm telling you that ought to be the expectation that the church also has I thank God for the Holy Ghost, but even the Holy Ghost, it is just a deposit of your inheritance. It is just the first installation of what's to come. I can't wait until the day when I stick my hand in his nail-scarred hands. I can't wait until the day that I see my lover face to face one more time. I can't wait until the day that I meet him face to face these were persecuted Christians who were killed like lowly criminals and yet they remained unshakable in their stances they were publicly scourged stoned to death thrown to the lion's den to be eaten alive dragged naked throughout the city tied to the tail of horses and they would leave their skins in the pavement burned in large pots of boiling oil because they refused to deny their Christianity and why did they suffer these atrocities when all they have to do to stop from being killed was renounce their faith I'll tell you why they did not renounce their faith because to them to live was Christ and to die was gain they were invigorated by the life that was to come their vision of the life to come was indescribable one way or another in their mind they were convinced that they were going to win if you kept them alive they were going to preach and fulfill the Lord's will but if you kill them they were sure that they were going to see Jesus face to face and how do you deal with a people like that how do you deal with a people who have absolutely no worry about tomorrow how do you deal with a people who do not lose sleep over the threat of death they were driven by that hope their windows into the eternal were wide open they were unafraid of death and I need you to capture that 
thought for a moment that there were mothers who watched their sons get beheaded in a world that persecuted and killed Christians and yet they counted it an honor to suffer martyrdom for Christ's name's sake. Do you know why? Because they were energized by the life that was to come and they knew that the life to come was infinitely better than the one they were living because they would see Jesus face to face. No wonder some of the first martyrs would cry out as they were being decapitated and say you can kill us but you can't harm us. You can kill us but you can't harm us. Do you know why? Because they knew what Paul had said that not even death can separate you from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ. Not even death can separate you from it. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, in that great chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the walk, the hall of faith, as it is often called, in verse 35, it didn't even uh, name them by name, just call them others. And it says others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Do you realize what the, what the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here? He is saying there were people that were being decapitated. People who were being killed and they would refuse deliverance because because they believed in a better resurrection. They believed that one day they would have an afterlife with Jesus. That their best life was not now. But their best life was later. And no, the threats of death did not stop them. Because they heard men preach to them. If the dead rise not like Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he gave several reasons why he believed the dead rose. But this is his answer he said if the dead rise not this is his question he says why do we stand in jeopardy every hour he said if the dead don't rise then why do we stand in jeopardy why are we persecuted why are we killed why do we live the way that we live why are we scorned why are we laughed at if the dead rise not in other words the reason we stand in jeopardy of death and persecution and ridicule and affliction it is because we have a hope that someday the dead in Christ shall rise first and we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trump shall sound and we shall all be changed I'm telling you this was their hope their hope I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. But for those people who have misconstrued Paul's writings to preach a prosperity gospel that cannot be found in scripture. I believe in prosperity, but I don't believe this hyper prosperity that's being preached around on television and on radio talking about come to Jesus and this is what he's going to give you. He's going to give you this. He's going to give you that. And it escapes us sometimes that the Jesus they're talking about was called a man of grief associated with sorrows. He 
he, this is not, you know, this Christian, listen, this Christianity is not about prosperity. As a matter of fact, just one verse before the verse that we read is our text. It says, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Watch this. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You can't be glorified until you suffer. You cannot have glorification without the suffering that is see we love the blessings of God and the promises of God but I'm telling you no one wants to hear about this promise in this world you will have trouble have you ever heard that promise from Jesus that is a promise nobody wants to receive but I'm telling you it is a promise that is in the book it is a promise that we have to also understand that in this world we are going to have a little trouble uh, you see I'm telling you I was Paul was not over here talking about how you're going to have prosperity in your life uh, and how you're going to get cars and whips and cribs uh, up in man mansions up on hills uh, that's not what he was talking about uh, the reason we stand in jeopardy and death and persecution and ridicule and affliction is because of this hope uh, Paul was saying that we have uh, and this is what he said if the dead rise not let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die that verse right there I could give you a thousand against the prosperity gospel but this is my favorite one where Paul says listen if this is if 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 there is no resurrection from the dead if there is no life to come then let us eat let us drink for tomorrow we die do you know what he was saying in other words let's enjoy our best life now that's what he was saying if there's no resurrection from the dead let's enjoy our best life now let us eat let us drink let us be merry for tomorrow we die and what Paul was intimating was that a preoccupation with the pleasures of this life can only be found in people who don't believe that there is a life to come. Don't you see it that this generation's obsession with money and pleasure and power and sexual gratification is a witness to their lack of belief in an afterlife with Jesus? Don't you see it? It is, an, it is a belief that, you know, this is all there is, friends that is the spirit of the day life is short and then you die that's that's what people will tell you there is no tomorrow therefore stop your suffering drink act a fool party get high fornicate waste your life covet money engage in orgies enjoy the pleasures of sin drink and be merry for tomorrow you will surely die that is the spirit of the day and I mean if you believe that the the life you are living now is your only life then that will probably be your lifestyle of choice drink and be merry enjoy it tomorrow we shall die there is no better life tomorrow and from that mindset comes the saying YOLO you only live once YOLO is the spirit of the day YOLO usually that's what people say to justify a reckless lifestyle YOLO so let's 
let's buy stuff out of our budget. YOLO, so let's jump from this bridge. YOLO, so let's buy stuff in order to have pleasures, disregarding the consequences it has on people. YOLO, it's a reckless lifestyle. So YOLO, you only have one life to live. That if you are a born again Christian that has been begotten again unto a lively hope, the next time someone tells you YOLO, you ought to slap them in the face and speak in tongues and say the devil is a liar. This is not my only life. I've got a home in the sky and I'm going to tell this world goodbye. You see, I'm going to fly away. Oh, I'm going to fly away. I'm going to fly away. You ought to shake your head and discuss. This is not my only life. I have a home beyond the grave. I have a blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. I have a blessed hope beyond this life that the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the trump of an archangel. Amen. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Paul implied that if the dead do rise from the dead, then life today, live today as if your best life is not the one you are living now. But live as though your life, your best life is yet to come. Now I'm sad to report to you that the thought that this world is all there is has inconspicuously crept up into our Christian mindset. More and more we hear preaching on earthly prosperity. More and more we hear preaching about earthly things and how God wants to bless you. And he does want to bless you, but we equate blessings to things. More and more we hear, and listen, I, I believe in all this stuff. I believe that God wants to bless us in, in those ways as well. But I'm telling you, this is not what the gospel is all about. More and more we hear about prosperity in this life. But we have replaced a passion and a deep longing for the next life with God wants to heal you now and prosper you now and give you wealth now. And can I tell you, I believe in healing. I am a witness to God's healing power. When I was 14 years old in the city of Barquisimeto, Venezuela, I was pronounced dead after drowning in a pool for over 10 minutes. I was underwater and I was pronounced dead when the ambulance came. But as they were bringing my body into the ambulance, my father stopped them from taking me. And he said, church, gather around and we believe in a miracle working God. And can I tell you, they laid hands on me this year, this last year, couple of months ago I was in Venezuela for the first time after I, you know after that experience and I heard it from the old men that were there I heard the testimony fresh and anew and one of the men said I have never seen a miracle like I saw it in your life he said they were about to take your body into the ambulance but your father stopped them and he told the people around you we want to pray and we all began to pray he said and as we prayed you began to have life. I believe that God is still a miracle working God. 
As a matter of fact, I believe that God can still work miracles in this house today. I still believe that in 2017 that some people are going to get a release from the spirit in your body and in your health and that the power of God is still in operation here today. I believe that with all of my heart, but friends, that is that. Don't let it ever escape you that every single person that God ever healed, they died of something else. Don't ever let it escape you that every single person that God resurrected, they died of something else. Do you know why? Because it is appointed unto men that they shall all die. We shall all die. The wages of sin is death. This is not the only life there is. Miracles are not the greatest of all things. They're just signs. They're signs. They increase our faith. They increase the faith of others. It's what miracles is all about but it does not substitute our desire to have a life to come it does not substitute I'm telling you you ought to still be working towards that God come back soon I don't want more of this world I want more of you I want to see you face to face God wants to bless and heal and prosper and give you wealth and enlarge your territory. I believe all of those things, but we have made that the gospel. That is not what Jesus came to die for. He did not come to die so that you can have earthly things. He came to die so that you may have life and life everlasting. He that believeth in me shall never pass away. This is what Jesus came to give you, life everlasting lasting friend I dare you to preach about whips and cribs to the first century church I dare you to preach about God wants to heal and prosper and give you things to a mother who just watched her son get beheaded for Christ's name's sake she would have slapped you in the face and said the devil is a liar I didn't lose a husband so I could have BMWs so I could have cars so I could have houses so I could have bank accounts. I've got a home beyond the grave. I've got a home in the sky. I didn't lose all of that so I can have things. I want to see Jesus face to face. We go to Christian bookstores today and I saw a whole section in a Christian bookstore called self-help. And I thought to myself, as I was looking at that, I said, my God, do people not realize that self-help and Christianity is an oxymoron? The cross doesn't allow you to believe in self-help. The cross is evidence that you can't help yourself. That you need a mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. The cross lets you know you need grace. You need mercy. You need somebody. Hey, the, our help is in the name of the Lord. Self-help. 
you'll find books in the Christian bookstores. And so I did. And I went in there and I was so shocked that I took some of the titles and I wrote them down. One of the books was called Inspiration for a Ridiculously Good Life Now. The other one was The Law of Happiness and Discovering the Path to an Abundant Life Now. There was another one that said how to accept yourself, boost your confidence, and change your life in five days. Not even Donald Trump could give you those odds. And I can go on and on with these so-called Christian books that show a startling preoccupation with this life and the here and now. Now, I apologize if this message messes with your theology, but those first century Christians didn't sit in church to hear sermons on three steps to live in prosperity, how to name it and claim wealth in Jesus' name, how to get tired of the prosperity of the wicked and start enjoying your own prosperity. No, forgive me, people. If that's what you think the Bible is all about. Those first century Christians were not accustomed to hearing preaching about the pleasures of the here and now. Rather, they heard it being preached repeatedly that the things of this world are temporary and shall hold not your affections captive. So they should hold fast to their blessed hope. They heard sermons on the light afflictions of this world are but for a moment, but those afflictions work in you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. They were saying, listen, that's what afflictions are for. Every time afflictions come to you, they ought to put in you a greater weight of glory. They ought to put in you a greater hope. They ought to say, Lord, even so, come, I can't wait until I see you again. Did you know I'm going to I'm just going to say something in that very Romans chapter 8 is so rich and so powerful where we read. But did you know there's something very powerful? The Lord put it in nature itself and in you put a an expectation or there should be an expectation to see him again. I'm going to prove it to you. Listen to this. It, I reckon that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Number In verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, creature meaning creation, that is you and I and even trees and so forth. Creature, it waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Watch this, watch this, because this verse right here, you've never heard preaching on this. I, I almost guarantee you. But this verse right here blesses me somewhat. Here it goes. Verse 20. For the creature, that is creation, was made subject to vanity. Now, not willingly, that is, you know, creation itself didn't say, well, you know, give me futility, which is basically what all of creation feels like. Well, what is the point of life? Why are we living? We are subject to futility. That's what vanity means in this text. He said we are subject to vanity, but we didn't choose that. It says we were subject to it, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. He subjected us to vanity in hope. 
because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Do you realize why some of the afflictions come? Listen, you ought not pray against affliction sometimes. Affliction is necessary in the house of God. Affliction is necessary to your life personally. Some of this affliction has been subject to you in hope. You ought to come from a negative medical doctor's report and say, oh Lord, I can't wait until the day when there will be no more tears, no more fears, no more cancer, no more arthritis, no more pain. I can't wait until the day when I'm by you and I see you face to face. I can't wait until that day. You have been subject unto vanity in hope. Now I go back. Listen, you see the apostles weren't just preoccupied with teaching their saints how to live right but they also taught their saints how to die right and oh how many of our saints die in fear because they were never armed with the knowledge that their best life is not the present one but rather it is the one to come they were never taught that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord how many of our saints hold on to this life after as if this is the all all there is I don't know about you but I refuse to let this world be my home I refuse to let this world be all there is this world is not my home the songwriter said I'm just a passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue the angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore and some glad morning when this life is over I'm gonna fly away to a home in God's celestial shore I'm gonna fly away that ought to be the burning expectation inside of you in the first desert storm in the first desert storm when uh, the first bush went against uh, Saddam Hussein over in Iraq well, after, uh, you know, what, what had uh, transpired. Saddam Hussein put out a, uh, uh, a uh, uh, put out uh, some uh, papers out in front of the palace seeking to see how many young people in Iraq or people overall in Iraq were willing to strap dynamite to their bodies in order to go jihad against the United States of America. That is holy war. That was his interpretation of jihad. And uh, well, uh, and conveniently, that was his interpretation at the time. He said, how many of you want to go jihad against uh, the infidels in the United States of America? Do you know how many Muslim young people signed up on that in front of the palace to wage war against the infidels at that time? Over a hundred thousand. Over a hundred thousand young people signed up to strap dynamite to their bodies, bombs to their bodies, to come against the infidels in the United States of America and wage war. And I 
ask you, why would someone do this? Why would someone go through a World Trade Center in uh, New York City? Why would someone want to go through the Pentagon on a plane and kill themselves in jihad? Well, there are, there are several answers to that. But the number one answer to that is this. They believe their Quran. That someday they're going to have over 70 virgins in paradise. You, do you realize what I'm saying? There's some of you perverts going, well, strap some dynamite to myself. I'm... Lord, please erase that from the tape here this morning. <laughs> they believe in the afterlife. And it's a shame to some of us Christians that we can't even go through a little turbulence on an airplane. Right? I mean, you see people with a headache coming over to this altar like, please pray for me. I need a healing from God. I don't know what's going on. I just felt a little bump. I'm like, come on, man. That was a zit. And here, here, here you are. Here you are. I've got a little bump and I just don't know and I can't. And I, you know, and the apostles made sure that they didn't just teach their saints how to live right, but how to die right. We hold on to this world as though we having the truth do not believe in the afterlife to come. While those who believe in falsehood are willing to die in order to live a life to come. Do you know how the first century church greeted each other? And how they uh, said hello and, and how they uh, dismissed each other? Now we say the peace of the Lord be with you, or we say God bless you, and we appropriately say these things. That's not how the first century church greeted themselves. This is how they greeted themselves. Maranatha. Maranatha. Do you know what Mar Maranatha meant? Our Lord, our Messiah is coming. This is what it meant. Our Messiah is coming. And this is how they greeted each other. This is how they dismissed each other. Maranatha. And let me just give you a little insight to how and why they did it. Because there were a persecuted church. They did not know. Listen, brother, I don't know if I'm going to see you. Thank you for service this week. I don't know if I'm going to see you tomorrow at the small group meeting over in such and such a house. But just in case I don't see you, the Romans are coming after us and they're killing us. Just in case I don't see you Maranatha you keep the faith you remind yourself that the Lord is coming soon there's a reason we're dying out here on these streets there's a reason we're getting killed like lowly animals it's because we're going to see Jesus face to face so Maranatha you keep the fight you keep the faith you fight on you keep going if I don't make it you keep going you keep preaching the Lord is coming soon Maranatha and Paul said, I don't know what is better, whether to live and preach the gospel or 
to be with Jesus Christ and to see him face to face. Oh God, give us that same passion in today's day and age that we're not just living for material things. That in 2017, we're not just so caught up in cars and houses and getting ahead and having better jobs and more money, but that we have a hope in this 2017 that Jesus, I reckon the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I feel like somebody needs a Maranatha in their spirit here this morning. You need a Maranatha. You've gotten bad news. You've gotten news that you didn't like but you ought to look at 2016 and say oh but Maranatha the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is soon to come. And I finish with this. I'm telling you, what ought to make you rejoice in the house of God, if you need a reason to rejoice, is because the Lord is coming back for his people. That ought to be your greatest rejoicing. That ought to be your greatest day of, I'm telling you, if you need a reason to dance, it should be because the Lord is coming and returning back for his people. That's why on one occasion, when Jesus Christ was present the disciples came and said oh Lord the devils the demons are subject to us the Bible said he rejoiced but then he made a startling statement and this was it I I beheld the light fall from heaven listen listen to this this was pretty powerful he's saying listen you're over here casting little gutter demons out in the little you know wherever you're at he's saying and, and you think that that ought to make you rejoice he said I was there when the biggest of all the demons the devil himself was cast down from heaven I was there when that happened that's not what ought to make you rejoice you ought not rejoice when the devils are subject to you he said but rejoice because your names are written in heaven that's what ought to make you rejoice telling you I think we've got it backwards when we hear about the miracles yes we ought to rejoice but that shouldn't make you rejoice more than when you think about that the Lord has brought you out of sin and instilled your name in the book of heaven that ought to make you rejoice more than anything in this world I'm done musicians come the other day I was, I, was, I was talking to my dad and we were talking about some things and he was talking into my life about some things in my future. And uh, he was telling me I'm at that age now where I've, I've got to make some key decisions in my life about my future and I need to find out what is important to me. And I honestly, that was one of the most, uh, one of the most uh, positive and powerful conversations that I've had in 2000, it was, it was, I looked in the mirror and it made me think quite a bit. And so right after I was done with that, I went to prayer and I said, man, I have a heart. See, not much in this life really bothers me. I, I am a very happy man. Uh, I mean, I've been through hell and high water, but not very much bothers me. The joy of the Lord is my strength.
I find my joy in the Lord. And, and not much can faze me. And so, but sometimes, sometimes, I feel like, man, that is a great strength, but could it also be a weakness? Because not many things really make me passionate. You know, uh, I'm not very passionate about many things. I'm not, <clears throat> not very many things really get my attention the way they should. So I went back to prayer and I said, oh, Lord, what is important to me? What, what, what am I passionate about? What really, what, what really wakes me up in the morning thinking I need to work towards this? Because this is a passion. And I thought, what, is, what would be the most important, aside from Jesus Christ, what would be the most important thing in my life? You know, the only answer that came to mind was this. I think what brings me the greatest joy in my life, when I think about it, is that my two children, Caleb and Micah, will someday join me on Streets of Gold. <laughs> the thought that my two kids would join me on Streets of Gold someday, I don't Listen, I, I'm not, I'm not going to push them like my dad pushed me to be a minister and a preacher. I'm, I'm not going to push them. That would also make me very happy. Very happy. But if you know Micah, you know I'm not hoping for that. But I, I'm not pushing for it. But my God, if, if they would get a hold of God's grace... and would live in the favor of God and would trust him with all of their heart for their salvation, that would bring me the most joy in this world. I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more, and this is kind of personal. I'm just going to open up here a little bit, and I, I hardly have ever said this in, uh, publicly, but I'm... I'm going to say it. I'm going to have the courage here to say it. Their mother left us about four and a half years ago. And uh, her life has not been the same since we've prayed for her and I believe that the Lord is helping her along the way but it's, it's taken a downward spiral it's on a downward spiral uh, she struggled with some addictions and some stuff in her life we, we pray for her daily I'm going to tell you what would bring me great joy. If someday I would see her hands raised singing the song of the redeemed. Glory. 
truly that would bless my heart more than anything in this world. I could care less about offenses. I could care less about what's been done to me. I'm telling you, I was married to that woman for 11 years. 11 years I was married to that woman and I heard some of the most beautiful singing you could ever hear coming from her lips. Right now she's working hard to come out from some of her addictions and some of her troubles and trials and we're praying hard. But I'm telling you, when you have a little time to pray, if you would just send a little prayer, would ask God to intervene on her behalf, wherever she may be, whatever she may be doing, that God would rock her boat like Jonah. That the Lord would begin to draw her. <laughs> that some of the songs of Zion that she once sung, she would listen to again and the words would begin to heal her heart and bring her back to her master. As a matter of fact, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house and I feel like, I feel it in my spirit right now. Would you guys just help me right now just for 30 seconds? Would you just lift your hands right now and intercede right now in the name of Jesus? Father, we pray right now. And I pray, oh God, that as this church is interceding on behalf of Tinu Diaz, I pray right now that you begin to work even in their own families. As you begin to intercede right now, God is about to work in your own family. God is about to work in some of your own backslidden children. God is about to work in some of your own backslidden spouses. Right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, this is our greatest joy. This is our greatest joy. That someday we'll all walk together in streets of gold. This is our greatest joy. Even so, God. Come on, this altar is open all over this house. This altar is open. You can come down to this altar, pray with somebody where you're at. Whatever you decide to do, but let's intercede right now. Come on, let's intercede right now in the name of Jesus. Let's intercede on behalf, on behalf of family members. Let's intercede right now. The Lord is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you ask or think. This is our greatest joy right now. This is our greatest joy. If this is your greatest joy, if this is your greatest joy, you ought to intercede. Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to see your face. Lord, I want my family to see you. Lord, I want to see you together. Lord, I want my family to see you, Jesus. I need my family to see you.